Super Talk Mississippi media production. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the story straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. Welcome to In a Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. These are some crazy times, but we are mounting a comeback. I feel it. There's so many wonderful things to do right here in Mississippi. Just go to visitmississippi.org to find out more. Today's guest bears the name of royalty in baseball and beyond. He was a standout three-sport athlete in high school, but chose baseball because, well, that certainly ran very thick in his veins. Stand by. He was drafted in the first round by the Pittsburgh Pirates, went directly to the minor leagues, and was called up at the tender age of 20. He would go on to win a World Series back in 79 and in 85 got traded to the New York Yankees and played for his dad. It was the first father-son combination in Major League Baseball history. The former Major League Baseball infielder played from 77 to 87 for the Pirates, the Yankees, and the Astros. He's now a best-selling author. His book, A Very Candid, Honest, and Nostalgic Father-Son Memoir, writing for the first time about the legendary Hall of Famer Pops. Can anyone guess? Yogi Berra. So let's get to it, and welcome to the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio, Dale Berra. What's up, Dale? How you doing, Steve? Thanks for having me. Oh, man, I appreciate you coming on. I know our pal, mutual friend, Richard Berge, set this up, so I want to thank Richard. He's a Jersey boy. Did you and Richard know each other um, before? Uh, I mean, how long have you guys known each other? Uh, 60 years. Uh, <laughs> you know, he had, in Montclair, where we grew up, you know, he had older brothers, he had older sister, uh, I had older brothers, we just, you know, everybody knew each other. Um, I knew Richard from, you know, you know, when he was in seventh grade, and I was in eighth grade, and, wow. uh, you know, we used to hang out together, go in his back garage and do some fun things. I heard they had jams all the time in the backyard, or, or, or periodically would get together. I know his brother, Chuck, is a heck of a drummer. And uh, I'm about to have him on the show as well. That's crazy. So was Joe Walsh, did you know Joe as well? Was he in that group of yours? My brother, no, but he's a little older than us. But he's, a, you know, he, he's good friends with my brother Larry, who graduated, you know, uh, seven years before I did. And we do have another mutual guy, a guy named Albert Anderson. Albert Anderson was the lead guitarist for Bob Marley and the Whalers, <laughs> a Montclair High School football player with my brother Timmy, good friends with my brother. And uh, I hung around with Albert all the time. Wow. We, you know, we have something in the water being from Mississippi, all the great actors and music and musicians and art form. But sounds like in New Jersey, where you grew up on that on that little circle that you guys lived in and the school you went to, there was a whole lot of magic happening. It's pretty crazy. If you look back at at what history was made from your pals, pretty cool. And I know that it was a natural thing for you to be around 
probably growing up as a kid, watching your dad, you know, who was arguably the greatest baseball player, you know, top of all time. So, so maybe it was something that you were just sort of expecting just to be around people. Everybody's supposed to do great. But take me back to your, your wonder years, your younger years. Uh, obviously, a lot of this will be touching on your book uh, that's out there. Um, but take me back to growing up and what it was like in the household uh, with a dad like, like Yogi. Well, you know, it, my mom and my dad, they were two amazing people. I mean, you know, here's my dad who grew up on a place called Dago Hill in St. Louis, a, a, a hotbed for northern Italian immigrants. And uh, both of his parents were born in Italy. My dad was the first son born in the United States in 1925, uh, you know, went to school until eighth grade and uh, had to go to work, had to bring a paycheck home for the family. Um, my mom grew up in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri, with no running water and no electricity. She moved in 1942 to St. Louis to become a riveter during the war effort. Mm -hmm. Met my dad in 1947. But anyway, this is the household that we grew up with, people like that. Um, We watched The Love Affair, my brothers and I. Uh, we learned about the importance of family and, and, you know, that's what my book is all about, the importance of family and, and my dad allowing us to make our own choices and how he raised us with his values and my mom. We grew up in the town of Montclair where, as you said, Richard Berge grew up in, uh, a multi-ethnic town back in the sixties and seventies. We were 50% white, 50% black. That's just the way it was. Mm-hmm. We grew up. Uh, completely colorblind. I grew up with uh, Larry Doby Jr., who was the son of the first African-American player to play in the American League. He was only a little bit after Jackie Robinson. Larry Doby Jr. was my best friend. We just had an amazing youth growing up in that environment. You you mentioned, we're talking to Dale Barra, you mentioned colorblind. You know, in the Mississippi Delta, it was equally, as you say, this ethnic hotbed where... You know, my family's heritage is Lebanese. We grew up in the middle of all that, and there was Chinese, and there was a Jewish temple next to the Catholic church, and the Baptist church was across the street. And the Anyway, long story short, it's interesting you use that word colorblind because we were equally. You know, my dad didn't speak English till he was 10 years old. He oh, spoke Italian. He spoke Italian in the house. Absolutely. And yet, when we moved to New Jersey and—, and the only awareness that I ever had of our Italian heritage, Dad made no light of it. He didn't talk about, hey, you know, guys right. who come up, hey, Yogi, hey, Paisan. And right, Dad would right. go, yeah, yeah, okay, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't answer them back in some Italian, like, hey, you're my Italian Paisan thing. He made, he, he, we completely ignored it, didn't even think about it. Uh, I don't have the, the that italian experience we just grew up as americans somehow. exactly exactly and i don't know how my dad did that i can tell you a story though i want to hear um, jackie robinson came up to me before he died and said you don't know this but in 1946 your dad was the first white player to welcome me to professional baseball hmm. we were in montreal in triple a your dad was in newark in triple a 
is he went out of his way to thank me for my service to the country and yeah. welcome me to professional baseball. And I have never forgot that, Dale. I just want you to know about that. Right. And that's the great Jackie Robinson told me that about my dad. It wow. doesn't surprise me that Joe Gradiola was my dad's best friend, but Elston Howard was my dad's closest friend. Wow. It's just the way he was. You think about baseball back then, right? Compared to now, maybe, um, you know, stadiums have to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, you know, there's so much history with the Yankees. Um, did your dad spend a lot of time in the minor leagues? And was that Newark team, uh, the Yankees minor team, obviously? I guess I'm guessing. Yeah, that. he went straight from, in 1945, after, after the war, after his, uh, you know, involvement in D-Day and Northern Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went straight to Triple A baseball at Newark and tore it up there and got called to the big leagues right after that. Um, I, before the war, uh, he spent one half of the season in Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia yeah. playing for the Norfolk Cars. Went to war for three years, came back and went straight to Triple A. Was baseball always that easy for him? Because you're talking about basically every year he played, he was an all star. I mean, it's crazy. Well, baseball was, dad was, you know, I, let me tell you something. There is nothing about dad that isn't completely innate and intuitive and natural. He does everything without thinking. I literally believe he's the most unique man who ever lived. When I told you the Jackie Robinson story, um, it wasn't, dad didn't do that because he thought about it. He didn't think about, I, I want to be nice to this guy. Um, don't forget, there was teammates of his who, who didn't appreciate him talking to Jackie Robinson and welcoming him. He played with a lot of guys who, 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 who didn't like that. He just innately did it without thinking. Right. And uh, he played baseball the same way. He wow. had no fear. Uh, I wish I was, I was too dumb and I wish I was smart enough. No, to you were just too young. Brain. You were just too young. <laughs> we blame it yeah, on you. Yeah, I mean, my God, the way he played the game intuitively and, 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 and innately yeah. and, you know, his thinking. He never thought he was in a slump. Even if he was in a slump, he would just say, pitchers are getting lucky. And that's literally the way he thought. He played the game thinking he was always going to succeed without any fear of failure. So wow. Um, wow. was he always good? He played every sport equally well. Could have played soccer, could have played football, could have played tennis like you did. Whatever he played, you'd lose. Now, we'd go bowling with him, you'd lose. You'd play pool with him, you'd lose. <laughs> you'd play shots, basketball with him in the backyard, play horse, you lose. Wow. He just, he, he, just, he just played the game freely. Yeah. And, and that's the way we grew up, too, playing every sport. What a Man, gift. Had fun. Having what a fun. Gift. That was the most important thing. We were Dale Barra in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studios. This is getting awesome, and uh, I'm having more coffee, so I may be ramped up a little too much. Don't forget to go to visitmississippi.org to find out your next cool getaway. We're going to get through these times here in Mississippi. Feeling down? 
Here's your prescription for a daily dose of good news and positive vibes. Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Every afternoon, Rebecca highlights all the good things happening right here in the state you call home. Daily exposure to good things with Rebecca Turner may cause smiling, feelings of positivity, happiness, and even laughter. When you experience these symptoms, tell your friends to listen. Okay. Weekdays starting at 2 p.m. here on Super Talk Mississippi and now on Amazon Alexa devices. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. While we get through all these times, go to visit Mississippi.org to plan your next getaway. A whole lot of stuff to do. You won't believe it. You're in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. I am with Del Barra, Yogi's kid, one of his children. And uh, we're going to dig into the book now. But before we dig in the book, I want to talk about you as a player. I mean, you spent mm-hmm. 10 years in the big leagues, right? About 10 years, is that right? Am I, yes, sir. My math is usually yeah, right. Adele, I'm usually wrong. So so I'm glad I got That's that right. right. My listeners are going like, wow, Steve. I'm pretty impressed. Uh, okay, so take me back to growing up with you. You're a multi-sport athlete. Baseball, the easiest choice. But more so, and I'm sure you touch on this in your book, it's got to be something that's a common thread. Maybe the challenges of being Yogi's son and living up to expectations, and you talk about being dumb, but really when you're, when you're young and dumb, it all matches up because we think we know it all, right? So, so with that said, the challenges maybe and the expectations, um, how did that all come into play? You know, and how did you respond to it? Do you feel like, uh, you know, looking back at, in retrospect? Okay. Um, I can honestly say the way our dad raised my brothers and I, the town we grew up in, for some strange reason, and I can't tell you why, I, I do believe that my dad innately and once again intuitively did this. We felt no pressure as kids being Yogi Berra's son. Now, don't get me wrong. Hey, I knew Mickey Mantle's kids. I know Willie Stargell's kids. I know Whitey Ford's kids. I know many kids from ex-players whose kids were petrified of their dad's legacy and had a tough time dealing with The male kids had a very difficult time dealing with their dads, uh, uh, you know, being famous. And, and, and you know what? The way my dad raised Timmy and Larry and I, we did not feel that way. Far more pressure on me being a first-round draft pick. As a kid... Dad never played catch with us. He'd say, that's what you got brothers for. Go outside and play with them. That's, <laughs> that's what he crazy. would do. I remember he took Larry and Timmy to Yankee Stadium when they were like 10 and 12 years old. And Dad and, and, and uh, Larry and Timmy said, hey, Dad, will you hit us pop flies? And Dad told Mantle to go hit him to Larry and Timmy. <laughs> he said, hey, Mickey, go hit them fly balls. And Mickey goes, what do I look like? Why don't you hit him? He goes, don't worry about it. You hit him. I don't want to hit him. And he did not play catch with us, I think, I, I, but yet he'd play every sport with us. I think he really did that because he didn't want to put pressure on us, and we truly felt no pressure. I never went up there thinking I had to live up to Yogi Berra. I only lived up to what my, what my standards were. Somebody from the stands could yell, Hey, Berra, you'll never be as good as your old man. <laughs> and I would look at him with an okay and go, You know what? Who is? Right. And that that dig would turn into like a smile by the guy, yeah. because I didn't answer him with, uh, "Well, what are you yelling? Who are you talking to?" Or "Screw you, buddy." Yeah. <laughs> I said I gave him an okay and said, "You're right. 
Who is? New York, and they like that. New York fans, just talk about that for a second. Is it just wild? Uh, you know what? Once again, I'm, I must be oblivious. I didn't, fans were fans everywhere. Uh, you know, I, I'm a New York fan, so I know. I grew up a New York Ranger, Yankee, Mets fan, Knicks, Giants. So I'm one of those guys. I know exactly what to expect. And um, fans were the same everywhere as far as I was concerned. Wow. Wow. So you go into the pros, you go to the Pirates. Who's there? Who's the coach when okay. you get drafted? Well, here I go anyway. High school, I'm playing football, hockey, and baseball. Hockey's my favorite sport, to be honest with you. I loved it. Dad loved it. And um, uh, I just uh, – I, I baseball was the one I was the most accomplished at. So, obviously, the other, the other sports required – going to college for and uh i was a first round pick so the money was good and so i went straight to the minor leagues played baseball however my brother timmy played in the nfl for the baltimore colts and never football was always his first choice and his favorite sport dad never tried to convince him otherwise and he was a hell of a baseball player and you know still had an nfl career wow so um, I go to the minor leagues and pretty much dominate wherever I go. You know, I'm 18 years old, graduating high school, play a half a year in, in rookie league, a full year in A-ball in Charleston, South Carolina, when you couldn't even drink alcohol in that city when I was there. In 1976, you, you had to be a member of a club to go to a, to, to, to get a beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, and then... Uh, and the, the next year, I went straight to AAA and was called up to the big leagues in August of 1977 to 20 years old. Wow. You know, catch, being a catcher, especially your dad like he was, it's usually a genetic right. thing. That, that's, a, that's a position that passes on down. But it didn't, well, I was it didn't for you. Stop. Yeah, I know. I know that. So you Yeah, just... no. I, Larry, my brother Larry was a catcher, and he would have okay. caught in the big leagues. He would have caught in the big leagues if he didn't hurt his knee. That's how, at one time, my brother Larry was in the minor leagues with the Mets. My brother Timmy was playing for the Baltimore Colts. I was in the Pittsburgh Pirates minor league system, and Dad was managing the New York Mets. That was our family. That's at one insane. Time. Do you realize, if you just, can you ever just look back and once again, maybe expected, maybe, what's the big deal, Steve? But we're talking to Dale Barra. So, Dale. Do you ever just go, is there any wow at all, ever? Do you wake up sometimes and go, wow, or no? Yeah, well, well, in retrospect, when I think about it. You got you know, to. And, uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. I look at life in retrospect now and realize how crazy, you know, how, how amazing Dad was and, 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 as I said, my mom. So, uh, you know, here's a guy who went to, I always say, you know, Dad, as I told you, grew up in Dago Hill, eighth grade education, Joined the Navy and volunteered for a secret mission and stormed the beaches of Normandy. And of a little bit later, Northern Africa. He comes home and plays in 18 consecutive All-Star games, wins three most valuable players, <laughs> wins 10 World Series championships, and becomes one of the most quoted and revered men in the world. And then, on top of that, he wins the nation's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Wow. And I say, other than that, he was just a normal guy. <laughs> <laughs> <She> got... <laughs> and all of this, what? all of this, yeah. 
yeah. he did, completely respecting other people, never saying a bad word about anybody. Uh, always, re- he, he, he respected his tailor and his gardener as much as he did the CEO of a huge company, treated yeah. everybody the same. What a great Didn't trait. distinguish between the two or the three or whoever they were. Wow. Amazing man. You know, he probably, I was going to say, maybe he was, when he was sleeping, maybe six hours. If he slept for six hours, maybe that was when he was normal. But he probably was dreaming things that he uh, that he had already accomplished. <laughs> he was just rerunning there things was, in his just, mind. So there was no normalcy. <laughs> he just swore he wasn't special. He yeah. thought he was lucky. Which made him he special. Said, which made him special. Which made he, he goes, I'm blessed and I'm lucky. I mean, you know, this is the kind of stuff when you're eight years old, you don't realize that it's a big deal. You're standing in line at the movie theater in Montclair. You're about 30th in line to go in to see some movie like 2001 or something. The proprietor comes out and says, Yogi, you and your family come in the side door with us. We'll sneak you in. And Dad says, no, no, we'll wait out here with everybody else. <laughs> so, I'm just, well, I didn't know that was special at eight, eight years old. I just figured, well, you know, what did I know? I didn't, I, I, that's just the way it was. That's the way he thought. That's the way we grew up. I, I realize how special that is now in retrospect. Yeah. We're talking to Dale Barra. You're in the Mississippi Minute. All right, Dale, this is the part of the show where you get to decide uh, who you'd like to hear into the break. Usually it's my music in and out of the breaks, but this is one that I give everybody a break. Uh, we are the birthplace of American music. Would you like to hear Charlie Pride, who played baseball, or yes, he did, or Elvis Presley? You can only hear one. I'll take Elvis. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> you got it. You're in the Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar, little Elvis. There lies an opportunity. Use this time to plan for the future as life returns to normal. It always does. Stay safe, help those in need or who are struggling with the effects of the crisis. Stay six feet apart and wash your hands. Let Guarantee Bank make this chaotic time a little less stressful. They have a full menu of electronic self-service options that allow you to make deposits, transfer money, pay bills, check balances, and much more from your phone or computer. If you'd like to talk to a Guarantee Bank member at your branch, they're available from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. The phone number is 800-847-7454. Stay safe and stay healthy. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. Check, check, one. Where's In a Mississippi audience? Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Dale Barra, this book is a must. My dad, Yogi. While we get through all these times, go to visit Mississippi.org to plan your next getaway. A whole lot of stuff to do. You're in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. Uh, Dale, you know, as a player for you, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, did you feel like you left anything? Uh, you left it all out on the field, or you feel like that if you could go back and do do it over, maybe there would be a little bit of a. Uh, well, let's think about that one now. Um, you know, I, I came up as you know talked about when I got called up, the best player in the minor leagues in the country. Right. Uh, when I got called to the big leagues, Chuck Tanner and the, ma- and the manager of the Pirates called me in his office and said, you're getting called up here because our scouts say you're the best minor league player in the nation, in the country. That's number one prospect in the country. Man. So let's see how you do, kid. You go out and play hard. And that's what I did. And uh, I got in 1982 in a Pittsburgh Pirate organization that had Al Oliver and and Willie Stargell, and Dave Parker, and Manny Sanghian, and Bill Madlock, and John Candelaria, and all these great players that African-American and, 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 and Latino mainly, too. Many times I was the only white guy on the field. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, um, in 1982, I, was, I, was, I, I, came what they call, I became what is called a regular player. I won the shortstop the shortstop job in spring training, and that's when you come to the line, come to the locker room every day, and you don't have to look at the lineup card. You know you're going to be playing. And I played in 160 games, 159 games, 150 something games, three consecutive years with the Pirates, and had two great years. And 82 and 83, I can give you some stats. Uh, you know, I driven in 65 runs, batting eighth, led the National League in intentional walks. In 1983, <laughs> hit 25 that. doubles, 10 home runs those years, was one among the top shortstops in the whole league in run production. And in 1984, just when I'm supposed to be getting really good, I go backwards. Now, how in the hell can that happen? Well, uh, something happened to me in the winter of 1983, basically. Um for some reason, uh, I was noticing that all my buddies locked themselves in bathrooms when at parties. And I'm like, you know, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. Why are these guys going in the bathroom two, three at a time, staying in there for five minutes? What are they doing in there? And I found out what they were doing. Uh, it was the 70s and 80s. So they were doing coke. Yeah. So one day, like a dumbass, I decided to try a little bit. It was on a New Year's Eve, about 12.15. I had already drank enough, had having fun. But I said, you know what, let me try this. And you know what happened? I liked it too damn much. Man. I'm a completely addictive, op- uh, what do they call that, you know, when you're uh, OCD yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, whatever I do, I do the best I can. And I love that stuff. And son of a gun, uh, I... I I, it, it's the biggest mistake I ever made in my yeah. life. Right when you were just really rolling, me. too. Yeah, yeah, it robbed you. Absolutely did. It robbed me. Yeah. It, yeah. it cumulatively, after a few years, took away the amazing hand-and-eye coordination that you need to play the game at an elite level. Um, and I was too dumb to see it. Wow. The reason why I was too dumb to see it is because my mind was so strong that I kept telling myself I was okay. I kept telling my dad I was okay. He had no clue. And I told myself I didn't have a problem and literally believed it. And I didn't, I didn't see that my skills were declining. 
but it was obvious. And uh, by 1987, my skills were gone. I, I, I made it, hung around another couple of years because I've just based on my uh, uh, just some ability, but not nearly getting out of the game what I could have. Right. And I have to live with that regret. We're talking to Dale Barra. Dale, let's talk about the book now. I mean, cr- the critics that I love, my dog, my, I'm sorry, my, I'm, my dog Skip down here is a big deal. It's a big deal. My dad, Yogi. Um, so let's talk about, you have Joe Torre, you have Billy Crystal, you have the critics about your book, the, to me or them, the ones that are, that knew the game, uh, that, that great broadcasters, great coaches, great fans like a Billy Crystal. I mean, they're singing your praises with this book, so you must have been brutally honest, right? Yes, I was. So let's talk and about I the thank book. thank you for that compliment. Well, as I said, the book is a love story and how my dad saved my life, to be honest with you. Um, uh, you know, and what happened with me is uh, after I got out of the game, I, 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 I still just, I still used cocaine in the same fashion uh, I always thought I was under control. And whenever my dad would ask me, son, are you all right? I'd say, dad, I'm fine. I'm okay. And, uh, you know, he came from an era where he just, he just, he trusted me to tell him the truth. And um, finally, one day, uh, I'm not exactly sure of the year it was, but um, uh, uh, he made a phone call to me. And he had heard from some other people about, um, something that I did one day under the influence one night and he made a phone call to my house and he said hey kid get over here right now now when my dad spoke to you like that um you know you didn't say okay dad you know do you mind if I uh you know take a shower and have (laughs) breakfast first or you know it was get over here how old is a kid when he says hey kid how old were you Oh, at that time, I'm, I'm done with baseball then you know I'm 30 I'm 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 this is in 1990 or so wow and um he finally looked at me in the eye and said, let me tell you something. You see your brothers over there? We're not listening to you anymore, Dale. We're not going to listen to you anymore. He said, I'm your father and I love you and your brothers love you, but I'm not going to be your dad anymore. And those two brothers over there are not going to be your brothers anymore. And your mom in the kitchen over there is not going to be your mom anymore. It's your decision. You either stop doing drugs or you stay in our family. It's your choice. And literally within five seconds, I knew that I would never drink or do another drug again the rest of my life. And I knew that my family had just saved my life. I did not need rehab. I didn't uh, really need AA. I was shot through the heart with an arrow somehow of love by my family and my love back for them. And I haven't thought of or touched a drug or a drink wow. in 30 years. Well, that's that tough love thing, right? That you got to do it, it, right? You hear about it, it all the time. How, it was just how much my family meant to me because, believe me, Steve, I've heard there, there are people who come with me to... Uh, to me with advice and ask me for advice all the time and i tell them what my family did and they try it and their kids don't care they they the, the drug is so powerful they'll leave their family behind and and right. and, and and just keep going wow. and for me it just the second he said you won't i won't be your dad anymore and you won't be a baron anymore i just it was like a ball and chain were lifted off my ankle and i was a free man and wow. 
I haven't thought of, as I said, haven't thought of a drug or a drink since. Well, you were fortunate that you had this will, which was the will that made you a great baseball player, which was the will that, that uh, the beauty of the word family, which you had, uh, yeah, was absolutely. so rooted and deep that there was a switch that could come on and off at any point. And that's, that's, that's the beauty of your dad and mom, how they were raised and what they came to be. I mean that's really oh yeah that's absolutely amazing that's the that's the greatest that's the Hall of Famer right there that's the dad part that's uh that's just amazing what gets you we're talking to Del Barra what gets you to finally go in and write my dad Yogi I mean what you know you got to make it's you still have to make the effort of going like okay I'm gonna write a book you know <laughs> well you know I just saw I saw I, I and no one my dad had been written about from every perspective he had been written about uh, from the from the as a baseball player he's been written about all his yogiisms uh, everybody wrote about what a great man he was what a great humanitarian he was but no one had written about him from the what kind of father he was and that's why I wanted to write the book I wanted people to know the kind of father and mom that me, Timmy, and Larry grew up with. Wow. So yeah. that's why I wrote the book. And, and you know, we grew up with his funny sayings. You know, we heard them all the time growing up. I could tell you, you know, I remember Dad managing the Mets, and me, Larry, and Timmy are watching the game on TV, and the opposing player hits a double and slides into second base, and all of a sudden, two streakers. You know what streakers are, <laughs> oh, Yeah, I remember the time, man. Are you kidding? There was yeah. a time. Ray Stevens song, man. <laughs> two streakers run out of the stands on TV, and the camera flips away from them. They run towards second base, and Bud Harrelson is standing out there, and the cameras are not on them. And me, Larry, and Timmy are looking at each other at home watching the game on TV, and my dad is managing the Mets from the dugout. <laughs> so when he gets home, me, Larry, and Timmy say, Hey, Dad, those streakers, what were they, boys or girls? We need to know. And Dad looked us right in the eye and said, I couldn't tell they had bags over their heads. <laughs> so, anyway, it's so sure. We're talking to Del Barra here in the Mississippi Minute. Go to visit Mississippi.org. Check out all the wonderful things that we have to do right here in Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studio. And people are beautiful. Don't go nowhere. JT and Rhino. These are great people. They're tough, they're smart, and they love our country. The JT Show. The greatest of all time. Weekdays 10 to 1. Let me hear it. Super Talk Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Del Barra, this book is a must. My Dad Yogi. we got plenty of time on our hands still. While we get through all these times, go to visit Mississippi.org to plan your next getaway. A whole lot of stuff to do. You won't believe it. I can't wait to have Dale visit us. We're going to get him down to the Delta Soul. Uh, you know, you guys, I'd love to have you down uh, soon. You're in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. 
He's keeping New Jersey beautiful, and that's awesome. Uh, Dell, when you go get called up to play, I'm sorry, you're already called up. You go over and play for the Yankees, and your dad's the coach. You say your dad yeah. uh, doesn't mm-hmm. ever throw ball with you, doesn't ever, growing up, you know, get Mickey Mantle to do it and all this, but now he's your coach. What was that yeah, like? He's my manager now. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was that I like? remember. I remember. I remember the sport writer asking Dad about, uh, "Are you going to treat Dale any different than the rest of the players?" He goes, "No, I'm not going to treat him different. If he don't hit, he don't play." <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> and how did you play for your dad? Looking back, I mean, what, what years was this? What years did you play for your dad? In 1985, and he played. He he, he lasted 16 games before. Mr. Steinbrenner uh, fired him. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? I mean, come on. <laughs> Believable. Well, let, let me tell you, when I got traded to the Yankees, um, uh, uh, we had a guy named Ron Guidry on our team, Louisiana Lightning. And um, the first day of spring training, Dad addressed the team, and I had a question. And I said, hey, Skip, I have to ask you a question. And the second I said, hey, Skip, Ron Guidry stood up and said, that man is not your skip. That man is your dad. You call him dad from now on. We all know who he is. He's not your skip. That made me feel very welcome on the Yankees when a guy like Ron Guidry, with his status, um, uh, you know, told me that, that we understand that your dad is the manager. Let's not kid around here. And, uh, you know, and, and we understand what kind of, dad and manager he is and he and 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 we know that he's not going to play any favorites so anyway he lasted 16 games and 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 unfortunately uh got fired in chicago after losing a game on a sunday on a a, you know crazy day wow that's crazy that didn't make any sense all right well let's your relationship, we when we were texting, I felt like we had, uh, besides Richard being a mutual friend, when you, you got excited, mm-hmm. our buddy Reggie Smith. What was your relationship yeah. with Reggie? I, and all watching him throw, that's about it. Switch hitter who hit hit with power, who had an amazing throwing arm from the outfield. So um, I was always enamored with guys who could throw. It's such an amazing gift to be able to throw a baseball from the outfield uh, with the kind of velocity they do. And you don't realize until you get, you know, me, I always had the best arm of, of, of anybody until I got to the major leagues. And then when you get to, with the outfielders and see how they throw, you realize what a pop gun you have as an infielder. Uh, I saw Stargell and Dave Parker throw and Clementi and, Reggie Smith and Dave Winfield and Dewey Evans and their arms are in an, on, in, on a different planet. They're like bazookas. So um, Reggie Smith was one of those gifted guys, one in a million arms. Yeah. Well, so which brings us up, and we'll start making our uh, our plea here with voters. How's Reggie not in the Hall of Fame? And just looking at how great he was at so many. You know uh, the five tools guy. He was just—he was a standout in all of them, but not crazy. I understand you could hit a zillion home runs, and it just helps you. You can hit—you know what I mean. You can all the Golden Gloves. It helps you, but whatever. But the point was, if you just look at—he's got to be one of the top guys not in that I feel like should be. You know, absolutely. Well, there's a lot of guys like that. It's crazy. You know, the, the the you know you never uh, that the Hall of Fame is now you know it I I as Dad would say, 
you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah. there's there's so many deserving players, and there's players in it who maybe shouldn't be in it. So, uh, you know, Crazy. It's, Reggie Smith is certainly a guy who does, who could certainly be talked about being a Hall of Famer, yeah. no question. Yeah. Well, he's a Hall of Fame man, I know that, and I've gotten to know him, you know, and later in, in the last, I guess, 15 years, and he's like family. Well, I can't thank you enough, Dell, for spending a Mississippi Minute with me. The, the name of the book is called My Dad Yogi. You can get it anywhere, right? It's a best-selling book. Uh, yeah, so, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, whatever. Pretty cool. Pretty dang cool. It's been so great talking to you. Everybody go to visit Mississippi.org. Check out all the incredible things you can do. You've been in the Keep Mississippi beautiful studio in a Mississippi Minute with Dale Barra. I'm Steve Azar. Steve, real pleasure, man. Thank you so much. I'd like to visit you. Oh, it's going to happen. We're bringing you down to the Delta. Okay, buddy. Later, pal. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. trying times and my friends at Guarantee Bank believe in every crisis there lies an opportunity. Use this time to plan for the future as life returns to normal. It always does. Stay safe, help those in need or who are struggling with the effects of the crisis. Stay six feet apart and wash your hands. Let Guarantee Bank make this chaotic time a little less stressful. They have a full menu of electronic self-service options that allow you to make deposits transfer money, pay bills, check balances, and much more from your phone or computer. If you'd like to talk to a Guarantee Bank member at your branch, they're available from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. The phone number is 800-847-7454. Stay safe and stay healthy. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. JT and Rhino. These are great people. They're tough, they're smart, and they love our country. The JT Show. The greatest of all time. Weekdays 10 to 1. Let me hear it. Super Talk Mississippi. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.